The following program contains important but graphic material. These topics are designed to foster discussion, but may be objectionable to some. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. This program is a training program on human trafficking, sextortion, social media exploitation, and child pornography based on actual cases. Our mission is to eradicate human exploitation and bring predators to justice. Now, here is the host of the program, Opal Singleton. Hello and welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. Well, I'm really excited about this morning's show. Usually on these shows, what we do is analyze cases, cases of child sex trafficking, extortion, and like that. But today we have a guest that's going to join us in the second, third, and fourth segment. Uh, and we hope that you will be able to call in if you want. You can call into our show at one 866 472 5788. This week's show, we're going to talk about the four most exploited groups of individuals in child sex trafficking. And those are foster kids, homeless kids, kids who run away, and pregnant teenagers. I'm really excited because this show, we're going to have a guest speaker, Dr. John DeGarmo. And Dr. DeGarmo is an expert in foster kids, especially. He's written many, many books about it. Uh, he's actually got foster kids himself. But I want to kind of lay this out for you so that you understand just how challenging this is. Foster kids make up, actually, let's put it this way, 60% of kids in prostitution. That's anyone that's a minor under the age of 18 are foster kids. of homeless kids come from foster care. So I really wanted to stop and take a look at this because I know many of our listeners are practitioners or first responders, social workers, public health workers, maybe mental health workers. And so I want to take a look at why this happens. And I want to be able to talk about what can we do about this. So never again is a child violated. I want to first look at the vulnerability vulnerabilities, I can't say it this morning, forgive me, vulnerabilities of foster kids. You know, one of the first things that is absolutely obvious is this, they have no anchor relationship. The main difference between someone like myself and a foster kid is that I had someone who thought I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And you think about the parenting process as most of us grew up, certainly there was discipline, certainly there was no, certainly there was punishment, but at our core, we always knew that we could stay and that we had value, that we would be accepted, that we wouldn't be turned out on the street. But most kids who are in the foster care system have no anchor relationship like that. In fact, one of the things that happens here is many times they enter a home and their acceptance is all uh, performance-based. In other words, you do this and you do this and you get to stay. Now, I'm, I'm maybe making that a little more strict than it actually is, but think about how this is internalized in the child, especially if this is their second or third or fourth foster home. They've been removed from the home that they were born in, 
and now they are being placed out in transient homes, and that home has rules. And so it starts right from the get-go. One of the things that I really want to make sure our viewers or our, our listeners understand is there is a primary difference between experiencing guilt and experiencing shame. In other words, guilt is performance-based. You do this, you get punished, and like that, and so that teaches you not to do that again. But shame is not about what you do, but who you are. And at an early stage, as this performance-based behavior takes place, you get to stay as long as you perform according to our rules. Once you no longer perform, then you get punished. And that begins to wear on a child who begins to think, I am bad. I don't get to stay because I am bad. And this performance-based, and this is my opinion, not the opinion of Dr. DeGarmo. We'll get into that in the next section. But I believe that it's absolutely a setup as these children get older for grooming and pimping. Because it starts at a very young age. You do this, you get to stay. You don't do this, you don't get to stay. And so it sets up a new set of rules, by the way, with each family as they go from place to place. So you're not based on your own value, but it's based on your performance. It's a perfect setup for pimping because they've had a foster child has had this kind of setup all their lives in there. They get to be trained for loyalty. And by the way, rebellion is met with with rejection. So I want to just kind of transfer this over to the pimping process. What happens in the pimping process, and there are a couple of kinds of grooming processes. One is called Romeo pimping. In that case, she meets a boyfriend. And there is a grooming process on something like that. And, And literally, pimping is not about sex. It's all about control. It's about building that bond so that she won't get away. You start out with, you know, I'm, I'm going to take care of you. I'll love you. Uh, you'll, you'll be mine. You're family to me. Uh, I'm sorry that they don't love you. I'm sorry they don't see their value. But I will. And I will take care of you. And, and the, the, the foster child or any child, as far as that goes, that is being groomed, begins to see that loyalty is the price to pay for acceptance. So they begin to start to prove their loyalty. The relationship becomes very skewed. She's doing all the giving. He's setting the standards and raising the bar all the time of how much she has to perform. And by, by the way, that can happen whether you're a foster child or, or not. What, and when I go into schools and we talk to kids, about empowering love and exploitive love, we talk about who's giving all the, who's doing all the giving in there. Uh, are they giving you conditions to your love? If you love me, you would do this. And so you do that. And then the bar gets higher. And it's an interesting thing that happens. In fact, I was listening to a survivor one day talk about how this went for her. And he demanded that she do something. And she says to herself, okay, I'll do this, but I won't do this. And then pretty soon he demands more. And she's saying, okay, I'll do this, but I won't do this. And that that law, that rule is changing. Most of these kids come from a history of abuse in here. And in fact, uh, I was reading uh, 
some statistics here that 70 to 80% of youth in prostitution were previously sexually molested. So how does that work for a CPS worker or a DCFS worker? Well, one of the things that's happening there is that they're only seeing a part of this child's life story. They're looking at an isolated incident of abuse, but that victim is often a victim of domestic sex trafficking at an early age. And so what the victim is processing here or the foster child is processing is prior incidences of abuse and what their behavior worked for for them and when it didn't. And they may often be numb to any kind of emotion because of that history of abuse. So you have kind of a challenge because as a CPS worker or DCFS worker, you're dealing with an incident at hand, but what you're really dealing with is layer upon layer where this child was in a home, where they didn't perform, where they were rejected, where they were sent out, where they were prior maybe uh, abused Uh, prior to that, and they're processing those feelings along with the current incident. Another thing that often happens in foster care is you have kids who come from what we call familiar trafficking or family trafficking. I'm blown away in my work that I do in human trafficking of just how often this is happening in the U.S., Oftentimes, that child has come from a home where there's drug abuse. And I, you know, I worked out of Cambodia for a long, long time, and it is not uncommon there for families to end up selling their children. But I was just blown away by how often this happens here in the U.S. So don't be surprised at that. Another thing that often happens is our foster kids get put into group homes as they get older and older because it's harder to get them placed in a foster care area. One of the things that we are starting to understand is just how often pimps and predators, uh, pedophiles even, work out of group homes. Uh, I looked at a case that I thought was fascinating. It was the My Life, My Choice project. It was a research study where they looked at the first 40 girls that they looked at, out of 40 girls, 38 of them had been approached for prostitution by either a pimp or a bottom girl. This is a girl working for a pimp for recruitment into prostitution within the group home. So it's a very complex problem. One of the biggest things that happens is they begin to run away. There is something called the high-risk victims of trafficking model that was developed by Byron Fawcett out of uh, Dallas, Texas, an excellent individual who really is an expert in this field. I would love to have him on someday. But he has believed that if a child runs away on an average three times, they're probably in the life. So 80% of kids that come that are homeless come from foster care. And so these numbers are absolutely staggering, which is why I wanted to look at them with an expert on this. I understand how this happens when you run away. When I look at the serious cases, and by the way, we would encourage you to follow me and kids on our Facebook page. Go on to me and kids on Facebook and like it. You will see many of the cases in there involve a runaway child. The reason for that is that they will get out there and there's some belief that either up to one out of three or up to 
one out of five kids who run away will be victims of sex trafficking in the first 48 hours. The reason for that is that predator spots them. They begin to befriend them, come crash with us, we're family, no strings attached, and the next thing you know, they're being abused. Well, this is Opal, and this is Crimes Against uh, Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. You're welcome to call in. But next show, part of the show, we are going to bring on Dr. DeGarmo and uh, have him talk. So stay with us. We're going to go to break, and we'll be right back. That call-in number is one 472 5788 Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. If you have a question or comment, please send an email to opal at millionkids.org. That's O-P-A-L at millionkids.org. Now, back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton. Well, welcome back to Crimes Against Humanity. This show is being brought to you by Me and Kids, and we would encourage you to follow us on Facebook at Me and Kids uh, Facebook page or MeAndKids.org. And we will post cases on our Facebook page so that you can see them. We post cases, oh, every two to three hours on there. That's how often 
this sexual exploitation is happening. Well, as I said in the first segment, I am really jazzed because we have an excellent guest speaker today that is going to join us uh, and contribute to this. This is Dr. John DeGarmo. And we do have a call-in number if you want to call in. It is 1-866-472-5788, or you can email me at opalatmillionkids.org. So I'm going to get right to it. What I'd like to do first is just have Dr. DiArmo tell us about himself, uh, the work that he does in foster care, and like that, and then we'll get into the hardcore discussion. So, Dr. DiArmo, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on the program. I sure appreciate it. You bet. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. I know you've written many books and uh, that you're a speaker on this and that you're a foster parent yourself. That's right. Yeah, my wife and I have been fostering for uh, roughly 13 years now. We've had, oh, goodness, we've had as many as 50 children come through our home during those times. We've had um, up to 11 in our house at one time. We've had kids as young as 27 hours of age. And as old as 18 years of age and, and everything in between. Um, wow. We've adopted three children from the foster care system. We have three biological. And I have devoted my, uh, my entire life to not only helping the children in foster care, but also their foster parents and perhaps most importantly, helping general society understand more about the foster care system. Because I'll be honest with you, before I was a foster parent, I knew very, very little. I had a lot of misconceptions about what the foster care system was all about, what foster parents do, what the kids go through. So one of my goals, one of my, one of my um, missions is to just bring that to the, uh, that awareness to the general public. Wow. So uh, in working with these foster kids, have you been exposed to or seen the concepts that are going on with sex trafficking or sexual exploitation? You know, sadly, we have had, with, with those 50-plus kids that have gone through our home, we don't have contact with, most of them, uh, for various reasons after they leave their home. I can tell you this, there have been so many that have come to my home who have been victims of abuse, sexual abuse, victims, victims of rape, and children who have, oh goodness, lots of various forms of attachment issues, and I can clearly, clearly envision many of them following, falling into that trap of sexual exploitation, absolutely. So share some of your experiences or your thoughts on how to fix this system. We, we know that as many as 60% of the kids that are in prostitution come from foster care. And it appears, at least out here in California, that 80% of homeless kids come from foster care. Now, one of the things I talked about before in the first segment is the challenge of, first of all, their identity. Uh, if you don't have a, a permanent Uh, anchor relationship to go off of, then how do you know who you are and how do you establish your value? Because as a foster child, at least as a regular child, you know, okay, you may mess up some and mom and dad will be mad at you. You might even get grounded, but but you're not going to lose your home. But the minute you get in the foster care system, then everything becomes performance-based, which I believe is a setup for, as you go into puberty, for being groomed with a predator. Because then everything, all the relationship is based on performance. And I'd like you to share your thoughts on that. Well, first of all, you know, you, you mentioned about 80% being homeless. 
for, for kids to earn the foster care system, and when they age out of the system, whether it's 18 years of age in some states or 21 years in another state, uh, they are, most of them are, are set up for failure. 55% of them will quit school. 65% will end up homeless. 75% will end up in jail. Those are nationwide statistics. Those are very, very grim statistics. You know, for our own children, when they turn 18 years of age, we don't kick them out the door and say, hey, you're on your own. You're on your own. These right. children, these, that's how it is for these children, though. There's no caseworker for them. There's no foster parent. There's no birth member. There's nobody for them to call when they have a flat tire and a rainy night or to wish them happy birthday or to go visit on Christmas or Thanksgiving to have help filling out a job application, you know, help with laundry, just uh, any regard whatsoever. So they end up homeless, they end up in jail, they end up under a pimp, they end up sexually exploited. This is very, very grim reality for these children. So that's one of the reasons why they, they end up sexually exploited. But I think probably one of the most, uh, the, the biggest dangers is that of online technology. For these kids, social media, for these kids, when they come to a foster home, we have to, as foster parents, we have to remember this. They don't want to be in our house. We are not their mother and their father. We're not their norm. You know, I can provide stability for them and security for them, and I can give them as much love as I, as I can. But for many of these children, they want to go back to their mom, their dad, the person that abused them, the person that neglected them, the person that abandoned them, because that's their mommy. So they, they don't feel any, they feel they have no control in their life. There's, there's no control of being taken away from their family. There's no control of where they're placed. There's no control how long they're there for. There's no control of being moved to a new school. So the only control they believe they have is going online, using online technology, using social media. When they're online, they can control their, their persona. They can create a false identity. They can do all those things. And that's where they get trapped. Because when they go online, they're usually looking for one thing, and that is to find love, to be loved, the thing that's missing in their life. And there are those sexual predators out there who know that, and they're ready to entrap them and snare them and to uh, lure them in. That's a fascinating thing. You know, I was speaking at um, L.A. Unified School District, uh, great people over there. They're, they're wonderful. I enjoy working with them. But it was interesting because the homeless uh, person from that school district was speaking before I did, and she was saying that in L.A. Unified School District, 62% of homeless kids have access to a phone. Now, they don't oh. have the, the uh, connection that what they do is they go to Starbucks or someplace that gives them free Wi-Fi, and right. that way they connect. So, so what can we do about that? Because a teenager without, uh, without technology is absolutely going to be shunned at school. I can tell you that. Everybody else has it. It will be like a mark to them that they don't fit in. They're not part of the crowd and like that. So without social media, they're going to be even further ostracized in our society. And yet the minute we give them social media, they get access to the entire world. And you're absolutely right. These guys can smell this out a mile away and you know, they they will very quickly become victims. You know, there's a rule. There's there's a uh, there's a law in our school system across country where schools are supposed to teach children online safety, online oh, lots of online guidance. But schools don't do that. Their schools are teachers are overworked, overwhelmed, under resourced, underpaid. Just like most of today's 
social and caseworkers. So it's not up to the school to teach our children how to be online safe. It's up to the parents, whether it's a birth parent, whether it's a foster parent, whether it's a guardian. It's up to them to make sure the children have the tools necessary to be online. So when you give a phone to a child who's 9 or 10 years of age or 15 or 16 years of age, whatever they may be, and these kids have had no moral grounding, they're going to go online and they're going to experiment. They're going to find things that are absolutely frightening. And they're going to believe everything they read online as well. So when that sexual predator is out there um, giving them false promises, these kids are going to believe it. And they're going to absolutely believe it. So yeah, it's kind of start young. You ask how do you stop it? How do you prevent it? Well, it starts in the home and it starts at a very, very young age. And it has to be consistent. Is this something that the system should be coming into, for instance, uh, your social worker system of being able to put on Internet safety classes specific to foster care? Oh, absolutely. It's one of my more popular seminars I give. I've got a, I have a book called Keeping Foster Children Safe Online. It really is a book designed for foster parents, but it's for anybody who has a, uh, a child, anybody who's caring for a child. And one of the things I mention in a seminar across the country is that foster parents and caseworkers need to be monitoring what their children are doing, their foster children are doing online on pretty much a day-to-day basis. has to be consistent. These foster parents and these caseworkers, if they're going to give the child a phone they have to, or access to a computer, they have to make sure they have the, the, the password. Now, there are those foster parents who tell me, yeah, but my, my child doesn't have access to a computer. We don't have a computer at our home. We don't have a phone at our home. And I tell them, well, that's great. But as soon as that child walks into a school and they're sitting down in the cafeteria at lunch and the person next to them pulls out the phone, they're online. They're absolutely online. Absolutely. The biggest uh, site, the the biggest app that where we lose children is on KIK, K-I-K. And it's a fascinating thing because you don't need a telephone number. You don't need your own phone to be able to get on KIK. You can get a KIK address simply by borrowing someone else's phone. And then whenever you're with them at break or wherever, you can pick up your messages and communicate. So I think that a lot of people don't realize how that works. Right, and they also, also foster parents tell me this. Well, my school, when a child uses a computer at school, the school has firewalls. And I say, that's great, but these children today can break through those firewalls very, very easy. You know, I, I used to work in a, a school library, and I would monitor the computers all the time, and these kids would get through these firewalls every single day. You know, these, it's changing so quickly and evolving so quickly. Children are, they adapt so quickly to these uh, these restrictions and are able to get past them. So to, to say that your child is not going to get online or not going to get to these sites, that's, that's just not true. It's going to happen. It is going well, to happen. And we're seeing that even whether you're a foster child or not, there are schools, and, and it is the way of the future. I don't want to talk, uh, suggest that technology is bad. Technology isn't good or bad. It's a matter of how we train our children to use it. We're going to come back now. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes after the break, and we want to start then to talk about what can we do do a little bit different here to be able to break this cycle. So this is Crimes Against Humanity, Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. Stay tuned. We'll be right back to you. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain 
expiring really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Seduced, The Grooming of America's Teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers, will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com listening to exploited crimes against humanity if you have a question or comment please send an email to opal at millionkids.org that's o-p-a-l at millionkids.org now back to exploited crimes against humanity here again is opal singleton Well, welcome back to this segment. In this segment, normally what we'd be doing is exploring the dark web and child pornography and online gaming. But we're going to change it up a little bit this week because we have a guest with us, Dr. John DiCarmo, and we're talking about foster kids, homeless kids, runaway, and pregnant kids, which are the four highest uh, most exploited populations out there in child sex trafficking. So at this point, we we have been talking about the challenges of dealing with foster kids and online, uh, not online game. Well, online gaming is also an issue. Quite frankly, I I was it comes to mind of a case that I had not too long ago of a young man who had been addicted to online gaming and then he got moved and he was very, very intelligent. But we're also talking about social media and the ease of access by predators and the ease to groom these folks. One of the things that we do know is that because kids are moved from place to place to place within the system, they have trouble with an anchor relationship. They have trouble forming bonding in there, and predators totally, totally recognize that. And they will use social media to reach out and groom them. So I want to take a 
for the first part of the segment, talk a little bit about the grooming process. And then we want to talk a bit about how organizations, churches, nonprofits can come in and work with the CPS or DCFS system to do it. John, this is Dr. John DeGarmo. One of the things that I wanted to address, first of all, here is that grooming process, because the foster care system is a perfect setup for being groomed. In other words, it's often performance-based. In order for you to be able to stay, you you have to perform. And what will happen with a pimp or a predator is they will come in and they will build that relationship. It looks like absolute love. They tell them everything they want to hear. They reinforce and, and literally grooming is a process that pimps use, and it is not about sex. It really is about controlling another individual to get them to perform. And oftentimes, as you know, in this case, pimps will bring in another girl, and it will look like a girlfriend, and that girl is set up for grooming. When I look at the foster care program, these kids are just sitting ducks for the grooming process because they've been groomed all their lives. If you perform, you get to stay. And if you don't, you then get rejection. And that is exactly how this pimp will begin to work with them. Eventually, it turns into an abusive relationship. But keep in mind that probably 70 to 80% of these kids have already been abused. So it's nothing new to them. It's just part of the process. So I want to turn now to Dr. DeGarmo and let him talk here a little bit about what he sees along with how kids get groomed and how they respond and what we might be able to do about it. Well, I want to talk about one girl in particular that came to live with us. She was a teenage girl, and she had been adopted by three separate families. Three families adopted her and told her that they would love her unconditionally, and all three of those families sexually abused her. Every oh one gosh. of those sexually abused her, and all three of those families unadopted her. They gave her back to the state, and she was living in three separate states. When she came to live with us, when she was in her late teen years, she did not know what love was. When a child comes into my home, there's no label, there's no biological, there's no adoptive, there's no foster, they're all our children. And what they need the most, they need stability, yes, they need security, of course, but what they need the most is unconditional love. So that's what my wife and I give these children. We love them with as much as we have. That's why it hurts so much when the children leave our homes. So for this child, this teenager, she did not accept that. She did not understand what it was. For her... Love was sex. Because when she had these three families who said she, they love her and they're raping her, they're having sex with her, um, that's what, that was her conception of what mm-hmm. love was. So absolutely, she was the prime target. And then the little four-year-old girl who came to live with us who was raped by her grandfather at age four. For her, sex equaled love at a very, very young age. She was being taught at a very young age. That's what it is. So these children really don't understand the concept of a healthy, loving environment, of a healthy, loving relationship. So when they're seeking that out, when that part of their heart is yearning for acceptance and for someone to love them, they think it is sex. So they, for them, to come along and say, hey, you can, here's, you can help me out by having sex with this person and, and help me out financially. They're going to say, sure, of course, because that's their norm. That's their norm. No, very, sure. very bad. 
So uh, I, I agree with everything you say, and I can guarantee you that many people in our audience that are social workers are saying they've seen that over and over and over. So how do we break that cycle? How do we address this? What, what can be done either through the system or through individuals who just simply care, who want to be able to support their local system and, or reach out to these people? What can be done? What do you, how, did, how did you address this? Well, for one thing, and more the, the more the child has moved from home to home to home, the bigger attachment issues they're going to have. Multiple displacement is what it's called. They're going to have issues with learning how to trust and how to form a healthy relationship or healthy attachment. So it's very, very important to try to keep the child in the same foster home. Does it work every single time? Well, with 50-plus kids through my home, we've had to ask two to leave because they were threatening my other children or, or other things like that. So but the other 48 have stayed. It's important these children to stay in the same home. That's one way you can address it. Foster parents also have to understand and recognize that, you know what, they can't fix every issue. These children need professional therapy. Sure. Now, not, everybody can, right, not everybody can be a foster parent. I get it. I understand that completely. It's the hardest thing I've done. It's the most important thing I've done, but it's the hardest thing I've done. But... Everybody can help in some way. And this is where the church can come in. This is where individuals and organizations can come in and help children in foster care. I think it's so important that children in foster care try to have as much of a normal childhood lifestyle as possible. For my kids in our home, that means being on the wrestling team, singing in the church choir, being in the marching band, going to a summer vacation. These children have to be able to have those types of experiences so they, can, so they can learn to appreciate that, you know what, my identity is not that of a foster child or that of, a sexual, uh, of being sexually abused. It's, it's being in other organizations. You know, they might find, they may, they may heal through music. They may heal through play. They can heal through a variety of ways. So the churches can help foster parents and the foster care agencies in their area by helping out with these children, by perhaps paying for them to be in the marching band or paying for them to go to a church or inviting them to be in their youth groups, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that is so important, John. I encountered a foster kid that we were working with, a million kids. One of the things we do, we have a little program called Whispering Hope, and it is for people who want to donate to million kids and then you know, they tell us how they want us to use their money. We have various projects that we do. But one of the things uh, that we got involved with, because I was talking to some teenage foster kids that we were doing a program with, and they were saying, you know, I wanted to play soccer, but my foster parent didn't have the money for me to have a uniform, and I wasn't there long enough that I could stay on the team. And you just don't think about things like they can't march in a band. They don't have a uniform. They don't have a, they don't have a music instrument. They don't have right. uh, whatever they need. They can't be in dance. They can't be in soccer like other kids. So it just further isolates them and kind of puts a billboard on them that I'm different. I'm not the same as other kids no matter how hard I try or no matter how right. much I want to. And so that is an important thing. One of the, one of the things that we've tried to put together with the Whispering Hope is that uh, a 
church could come through and create a fund. Now, if they're the foster kid that's in the system, they can't go one-on-one because of confidentiality, but they certainly can can donate the funding and we can tell them how it's been used. If they're an ILP child, meaning independent living child that's 18 and is starting above, some of the things that we have said is adopt, you know, find that child within your community, adopt them, take them, take them shopping to a uh, garage sale and decorate their home. I always say buy Elvis on velvet and let them decorate, but that tells you where I'm coming from. But, you know, get your artists in your church to, to do some original art. One of the things that we saw in this program was some people donated their dishes that had been in the family for years. And they, they didn't just say, here's some dishes. They wrote them a note saying, these, fa- these dishes have been in the Larson family for two generations. And you want we want you to be part of our family. So when they started out their new apartment, they had something of value. I say, give these kids something to lose. Right, right. We had a child that came to our house who was brilliant academically. He was also, oh, goodness, tremendous discipline problem. He had been in three fights, and in one week before he came to our house, he was on his way to a youth detention center before he came to live with us because of the environment he was living in. Uh, Within uh, six months at our house, he was in the marching band. He was in the wrestling team. He was in the debate team. He was getting all A's in school, and he was discipline-free because he was able to experience uh, some things he did not have otherwise. Now, as a foster parent, I can't, you, you touched exactly, I can't afford to have all these children doing these wonderful activities um, but financially on the money. But so that's why businesses and organizations and churches can help out. You mentioned taking the kids shopping. When they turn 18 years of age, they need, they need to learn work experience. Maybe somebody who owns a business could offer a child in the foster care system to come work for them and teach them valuable social and, and working skills or teach a child how to, uh, to drive or um, help them get a college or donate money for a school fund or buy them school supplies. There's so many ways people can help these children. I I love that idea. We have done something like this within our Million Kids program. We will take on uh, an ILP kid, an independent living kid, and we don't just walk and talk and hand out money because parents shouldn't do that. But we act as the parent with them. We, In one case, a young man wanted to be uh, an culinary artist. So we helped him get a job in a local uh, Thai restaurant. And then when he got his little clunker car, we sat him down and said, wait a minute, I don't care if the car isn't worth that much. You need liability insurance. And my pastor sat down with him and said, we will buy it for you, but you're going to order it so you understand it. We're coming up on a hard break here, so we're going to break and we're going to come back. We're going to get a little more deep in the weeds here of talking about some of the psychological issues related to uh, dealing with kids in foster care that have been sexually abused. So stay with us. We'll be right back for the last segment. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Seduced, The Grooming of America's Teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers, will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. If you have a question or comment, please send an email to opal at millionkids.org. That's O-P-A-L at millionkids.org. Now, back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton. Well, thank you for joining us. Coming back, we appreciate it. Uh, Usually in this segment, we talk about global trafficking, but this week we wanted to take the entire segment to address issues related to foster care and homeless kids, runaway kids, and their vulnerability in sex trafficking. We do have a call-in number, 1-866-472-5788, and we have a guest with us, Dr. John DiGarmo, who is a foster a child expert, and we're going to be addressing several issues. But the first thing I want to talk about here is the issue of how do you deal with a child who's been sexually violated in the foster care system? One of the things that really comes home to me is that when you have an incident where a child's been violated, the CPS worker, the behavioral health worker, is dealing with that specific incident. But one of the things I'm acutely aware of is that that child isn't just dealing with that specific incident. Uh, they're dealing with all the previous incidents that have happened to them that are cumulative. One of the things I wanted to share with you, and uh, and uh, Dr. DeGarmo and I were talking about this, is the fact that the need for the child to be able to process not just that incident, but the buildup of emotion related to the entire life, the previous incidents. And one of the things that's happened in Riverside County, and I believe is happening all across the United States because I do go out and speak across the U.S. and, and train various groups. And one of the things that we are seeing is 
that the CPS DCFS system is becoming more trained in human trafficking, and I applaud you on that. Also, the behavioral health systems and also public health. In Riverside County, Southern California, our behavior health has developed CSEC specialists. That's commercial sexual exploitation of children. That word is called CSEC. And they have specialists that go out, and they go out into the home. They don't wait for you to come into their little office. They go out into the home, and they they meet with these kids, and they meet with them separately. Sometimes foster parents, actually sometimes all parents, have trouble talking to kids about sex, especially if it involves abusive sex or prior incidents, and they're not trained specialists. And I'm going to tell you that this is never going to get any better until those kids get psychological help. So enough for me. I want to let Dr. DeGarmo jump in here. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, our media today focuses on sex. This is not the Brady Bunch world anymore. You turn the television on, you're not going to see Gilligan's Island or Brady Bunch. You turn the radio on, you're not going to hear the Beach Boys or something like that. It's all about sex. It's in the movies, it's on our TVs, it's on our radios, it's in the video games that children play. Games where the children have characters that go and kill police officers and rape women and children. You know, so this is, that's the culture these children are living in. So for a child who has grown up being sexually abused, who's been raped, and they're surrounding themselves in this type of media, because that's what it all is, it's their norm. So how do you help these children? Again, as I mentioned earlier, foster parents can't do it by themselves. Social workers can't do it by themselves. Professional therapists have to be called in to help these children. And it's going to be a long process for many of these children. Well, I think you're absolutely right. It's a long process for them because they may not necessarily get to stay in the same home. So it isn't like any child that you take in and talk about sex abuse and help them process it because this is a continuing story. And so I do believe professional help is absolutely important. But I also think it's important, and and first of all, don't let me jump away from that a second. Absolutely, let me restate how important that is. If If we're dealing with social workers... These kids must get into professional help. Having said that, in addition to the social worker and the the behavioral health worker, I believe the community can play a very big role on this. I believe that it's important. It's difficult when they're minors to be able to engage with them, but that doesn't mean the community can't come forward and fill some of the needs. And then once they're independent living kids, then the community can come forward and build one-on-one relationships with kids in need in their community. What are I know you have a book on this subject. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? And tell me about your book. Oh, thanks for asking. The book is called Faith and Foster Care, How We Impact God's Kingdom. And, you know, my wife and I could not have been successful as foster parents the past 13 years if it wasn't for our church, it wasn't for the community that we live in. We have people in our area who adopt our children from foster care at Christmas and birthdays and, and, and give them gifts. We have people in our area who act as mentors for these foster children, who act as tutors, who teach them valuable skills, who take them fishing, who take them horseback riding. You know, it is a community effort. These children need to be- learn how to build relationships with people and learn how to trust others and that everybody's not going to be a threat to them or everybody's not going to abuse them. They need to see these healthy relationships, and that's where the church can come in. 
I truly believe with about 450,000 children in foster care and not enough foster parents, the next great mission field of today's church are those children. At the same time, when they're, not, they're not only helping the children, they're helping the biological parents as well in a number of ways. So there's so many ways the church can help these children. What is the name of your book, John? Faith and Foster Care, How We Impact God's Kingdom. It's a book not only for foster parents, it's a book for people who want to learn how they can help children in foster care without being foster parents themselves. There's chapter upon chapter giving uh, tips and strategies on how to assist children in foster care and how to assist child welfare agencies in their area. So, and what's your website where they might be able to find that? Oh, thanks for asking. If you just Google Dr. John DeGarmo Foster Care, my website will come up. DeGarmo spelled D as in David, E, G as in Gary, A, R, M as in Mary, O, Dr. John DeGarmo Foster Care. Find me on my website, find me on uh, Facebook, Twitter, social media. Okay. One of the other things that I've discovered in working with me and kids and the, and the groups that work with us is there are many ways you can make a contribution to this. And we see it out there. Uh, for instance, maybe you run a dance studio. Uh, that's, that would be one way that you could reach out into your community and create a dance class just for these kids. Uh, some, some of your self-defense classes that you can volunteer, voluntarily just create a class and contact your local social worker and say, this is what we do. I believe that drama is one way that, to go. I talked with a girl, one young lady. She was only 14. Now, she uh, was in a single-family home. And by the way, single-family homes and homes where grandparents are raising grandkids are highly, highly volatile. Vulnerable. I can't say that word today. Forgive me. But they're very vulnerable uh, situations because these grandparents care too, but they don't have the resources. Actually, out here, one of the things that's happening is that we're seeing churches that will come together and they will hold a seminar for grandparents raising grandparents, foster parents, and single parents. And I will come in and make a presentation. And then the church buys my book, which is Seduce, the Grooming of America's Teenagers. And then we'll put a letter in the front of that book that says, this book is a gift from X church. And uh, we provide counseling and support services to the community. And so that gives the church a chance to do something good, reach out, but give a free book to them that will basically help them. So your church could all, I mean, your book could also be a resource for doing something like that. My point is that it equips the uh, foster parent or grandparent raising a grandchild on how to do that. But one of the things that I have seen is that if you have a specialty, then you can reach out and help these foster parents and uh, help your your system. Don't be afraid to contact your local CPS or DCFS system and say, you know, I do this and I'd like to, you know, we have horses. Can we set up a horse camp for where you can bring the kids out? Or uh, maybe we have a wrestling thing. Or can I sponsor for children so that they can get band uniforms, so that they can participate. I think that it's very, very important that we address this issue because a lot of it is just knowing that someone out there believes in you, that cares enough to come forward. I I loved your idea about the birthday cards. We saw that a church over here adopted a group home. 
and so they got the names and the and the birthdays of everybody that was there and and the youth in the group in that church wrote a uh, birthday card to them just to say hey you know we were thinking of you happy birthday we're right down the street that kind of thing and right. uh, it it really can make a big difference for these kids Right, that's absolutely right. Many children in foster care have never celebrated a birthday or never celebrated Christmas. They've never had the opportunity. They've never had someone celebrated in their honor. So that's a wonderful opportunity. You know, I often say not everybody can be a foster parent, but everybody can help in some way. And you just listed a lot of ways they can help. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Well, you've been a a wonderful guest today. I really, really appreciate it. Let's take the last minute and one more time, give your name, your website, and the name of your book and and how they can order it. Sure. They can can not only order Faith and Foster Care, How We Impact God's Kingdom, through my website or through Amazon or through your local bookstore. There's also a book called Keeping Foster Children Safe Online and a number of other books. You can find my website, Dr. John DeGarmo, Foster Care. And DeGarmo, again, is spelled D as in David, E, G as in Gary, A, R, M as in Mary, O. Just Google Dr. John DeGarmo, Foster Care. My website will come up, and I can send you a signed copy of my book, or you can get them at your bookstores and Amazon as well. Okay, well, we're coming to the close of another session here. This this show is called Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. It is going out to 170 countries. One of the things that we would encourage you to do if you're a nonprofit organization or a church or synagogue out there uh, or a ward, uh, you are welcome to archive this site on your home website so that your members can be educated in human trafficking. And so... Uh, we're going to encourage you to contact us. You can contact me at opal at meandkids.org, or you can also be sure and follow Me and Kids on Facebook. That way you can see all the cases. Next week, we're going to go back to our normal format of analyzing cases. We're going to be doing some work and looking at some new technologies in the dark web having to do with child pornography that is just downright scary. The point of this is not to scare you, but to train you. Join us again next week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Please join your host, Opal Singleton, for another edition next Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll have another important discussion next week. 